I was thinking as we're watching that VBS video, and Danny had mentioned it earlier. Danny and Ben and uh, Chelsea had helped out with our, our music, and by the end of the week, Danny had commented earlier. He said, I still have those songs in my head, and it may be a while uh, before they go away. Uh, you know, you, you've probably, uh, in your day, you've heard a broken record. Some of you remember what actual records were. I, I actually, now listen, I'm not calling you old. I remember those, all right? So I'll join you in that. But you remember the broken record would just go over and over and skip at the same location. Others, you remember what, what it's like to hear a CD skip. Now, CDs, of course, are on their way out. If you didn't know that, that happened about five or six years ago. They're on the way out. I'll catch you up to speed here just a little bit. They're on the way out. But you remember they used to skip, and they just played the same 30 seconds over and over and over again. Uh, now, you, you almost have to try to make something skip like that. It's called a repeat button. And you hit the repeat button on your particular MP3 player, computer, or whatever it is, and it'll play the same song over and over and over again. I got that firsthand last year. We went to Disney World. <laughs> and we went through uh, with Nora and Duke, our two youngest. It's a small world, about four times. Once is enough. Four times is overkill, and, and I, ought to, I, I need a medal. Somehow I need to be decorated for my tour of duty, and it's a small world four times. But you get that song stuck in your head over and over and over and over again. That can be really, really annoying. But if you're trying to learn a particular song for a particular purpose, then it's good to have it stuck in your head, obviously. If you've ever had to perform in a choir or sing a solo, anything, what, anything like that, you know you've got to go over that over and over again. As we'll see today, Jesus has hit a repeat button. He's made the record break right there. He's caused the CD to skip on a certain message, a certain song, so to speak, he wants us to hear. And I believe that he's making, us, making it obvious to us that this is a theme, this is a principle that he wants us to learn. It's a repeated theme uh, in Scripture. It's a repeated message throughout Scripture. And we've actually seen it twice before in this particular sermon series. Uh, we, we, we're going to repeat, so to speak, a theme that I believe, since Jesus repeats it, it's worth saying again. If the idea that, that uh, Jesus keeps repeating is there over and over, then it's obviously something we should pay attention to. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, we're going to look beginning in verse 13. Let me give you a little bit of catch-up on where we've been. If you're just joining us, haven't been here in a couple of weeks, or maybe you had a long week and you've totally forgotten everything that we looked at last week, let me catch you up to speed. So far, uh, we are in now the seventh message in a series uh, from the very first part of the book of Mark. We're looking at just the first part of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And uh, Mark is a very fast-paced, fast-moving book. Uh, you'll see the word immediately an awful lot. It's just very quick. He has a point. He's trying to get Jesus in the story as quickly to the cross as he possibly can. He's showing you all that, that leads up to that. But Mark's purpose is to show us what Jesus does ultimately for us on the cross. Now, what we've seen so far in the first couple of chapters in Mark is that uh, we know that this is sort of a story that Mark begins, but it's going to be continued. It, that's why we're calling this series To Be Continued. We'll see this play out in the life of the church later on and individuals and so on. What we've looked at is the foundation of Jesus' ministry. We've seen the message of his kingdom. We've seen him call his first disciples. We've seen him teach with such authority that people are amazed. They've never seen anything like it before. We've learned that effective ministry is messy. It's often difficult, but that's the kind of ministry Jesus did and calls us to. And last week, we looked at the fact that people truly do need the Lord. 
Now, that, those ideas of effective ministry being messy and difficult and people needing the Lord is really the same theme we're going to look at again today. And Jesus gives us another example of that in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Look at it with me. Then Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he taught them. Then moving on, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Now, Levi, for, for most people uh, who study the Bible, they believe that that is Matthew. Some would argue that, but it's pretty clear this is Matthew, according to uh, to other uh, uh, cross-references in the, in the Scripture. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also guests with Jesus and his disciples because there were many who were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with, with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. You may have heard something along those lines before. Maybe you've heard that scripture before, and maybe you didn't know where it was. It's there in Mark chapter 2. It's an interesting thing that Jesus tells us. I believe there's something very obvious from scripture that we've looked at so far, and if you read the Gospels, you'll find out that the mission of Jesus must be our mission. It's a very obvious, very simple principle, but I believe it's repeated over and over and over, both in the example and the words of Jesus, and later on in the book of Acts and so on through the letters in the New Testament, all the way to the end, that the mission of Jesus must be our mission. Now, it seems like a pretty obvious truth. I mean, you look at what Jesus was about, and we say, well, as Christians, yes, that ought to be what we do as well. It ought to be an obvious truth, and it really is. Jesus speaks in such a way, he operates in such a way, that it's really difficult to miss this if you read the Gospels. You can't really read the Gospels with an eye toward the Holy Spirit uh, and, and not see that Jesus was on a mission and sends his disciples out and ultimately sends us out to do the same kinds of things. Jesus had a message to convey on his mission. You look at it there in verse 13. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him and he taught them. You'll see over and over and over Jesus constantly teaching people. He had a message to convey. The message was the same message as before. Flip back a page or so if you, if you need to in the Gospel of Mark. Look at it uh, in, uh, in verse 14 of chapter 1. Here's the message that Jesus has to convey. When he's teaching them, this is what he's about. Here's part of his mission. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the good news of God. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. That's the message of his kingdom. This was his message. It's a message of grace, a message of invitation to come to him for repentance and belief. And it must be our message as well. You wonder, well, what, what should I be saying? What should I be talking about? What, if I'm in conversation with someone who doesn't know Jesus, what should I say to them? Well, as difficult as it may be to broach this particular topic, the message of Jesus should be our message as well. Jesus has come. He's died in our place. Apart from him, we are lost forever in hell in eternity. And we have no hope even here on earth. But he's given us grace and forgiveness through his death and resurrection on the cross. That's the message of the kingdom. Repent and believe in that particular message. Our message can't be any different than, than Jesus himself. Sometimes it is. Sometimes the message, uh, even from the pulpit in many churches, from Christians, is, well, just clean your act up and be a little better, and everything will be fine. 
If you just do this, 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 and this, then God will obviously be okay with you. If the good outweighs the bad, in the end, you're fine. It's all okay. It's not the message of Jesus. His message was, I've come. You need to repent and believe in me, he says. That's the message. He had that message to convey, and as we follow him, that's what our lives need to be about, and that's what we as a church need to be proclaiming. Jesus had this message to convey. He also had a, a people to reach, which is really uh, interesting, the folks that he goes after. Uh, look in, um, first in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, you see here he calls ordinary average fishermen. As he was passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Andrew, or Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. He calls them and later goes and sees James and John. He calls them as well, fishermen, just ordinary people. In this series, we've seen Jesus reach out to the sick, to the demon-possessed, to a man with leprosy, to a paralyzed man. We've seen him go to those people who needed him most. And in the verses we're looking at this morning, he goes a step farther. Look in verse 14 of chapter 2. Moving on, it says, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting where? At the tax office. He said, follow me, and he got up and followed him. And then he takes it even a step further than that. While he was reclining at a table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also guests with Jesus and his disciples because there were many who were following him. He calls Levi, a tax collector, to be his disciple. He eats with other people just like this guy. Lots of those people were following him. Fishermen, the sick, the lepers, the demon-possessed, the paralyzed, the tax collectors, the sinners, all found a friend in Jesus Christ. Those are the people that Jesus came to reach. The problem was that for many people in his day, that was surprising. So surprising, in fact, that later on they'll plot to kill him. Because they didn't expect that out of a godly man. That he would associate with people like that. That those would be his target. Jesus proves the opposite, though, that he came for all. Even the ordinary, like the fishermen. Even those who are sick. Even those in that day who were demon-possessed. Even those who are paralyzed, even those who are sinners and tax collectors, far from God, that's who Jesus came to reach. He's got that message. He's got this purpose of reaching people. And What's interesting I find as well is he's also got these disciples to train. Look in verse 15. It says, while he was reclining at the table, many tax collectors were also guests with Jesus and his disciples. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall? to look at the disciples, and in just a minute we'll see the question they face. Jesus had a purpose with his disciples. His ministry, though it was centered on him, he is the cornerstone, he would eventually hand that off to his disciples. And so during his time here on earth, Jesus not only is preaching this message and reaching people, but he's training and sending out his disciples. And here they are, interacting with him, learning from him. And he later passes all that on to them. And we also know, of course, that it wasn't just for them that he passes it on throughout the ages, even to his followers today. We're called in Scripture to imitate Jesus. And as you look at this mission that he has, this message to convey, the people to reach, the disciples to train and to send out, we're called to imitate that. The problem is it's easy to ignore passages of Scripture like this when it comes to imitating Jesus. We like the kind Jesus. We like Jesus who pats the children on the head. We like Jesus who heals the diseases. We like that kind of Jesus. And yet the Jesus who interacts here with the Pharisees 
we're called to imitate him even there, and this is where it gets easy to ignore. We like the fact that he's come to call the sinners, that he's the doctor that we need, but when it comes to imitating him, quite honestly, that's where it gets a little bit tough. And honestly, our efforts at imitating him in these areas have fallen well short of where they need to be. But the mission of Jesus, nonetheless, is to be our mission. So as we look at the message he conveys, that's our message. As we look at the people he seeks to reach, that's our people. As we look at him training and sending others out, well, that's part of our mission as well. I want to give you three steps, action points, if you want to call them that. Here's some stuff you can do. How do we live this out? I probably don't have to spend a whole lot of time convincing you that, yes, the mission of Jesus, that ought to be my mission as well. Well, that sounds good, and it preaches well. But what does it mean? What do I do as a result of believing that particular truth? Let me give you a few things this morning. First, never forget who you are apart from Jesus. Never forget who you are apart from Jesus. There are three groups of people here that Jesus interacts with in this particular passage, all of whom needed him. And I guarantee you that you and I are in one or more of each of these categories, so to speak, if we were to play it forward to 21st century America. First, you have the sinners. you got the sinners, and, and, and this group of people were the folks that were unable to keep the demands of the law. They couldn't do it. Now, I want you to know that each and every one of us falls in that category. And you say, well, hold on just a second. Are you calling me a sinner? Absolutely. So I'll, let, me, let me turn around, and you all can all throw stuff at me if you need to. But, but I'm calling myself a sinner as well. I've told you before, I could put up a big mirror right here and preach only to myself, and I'd preach the same message I preach to you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that every single one of us, maybe you know the Scripture, all of us have sinned. We've all been unable to keep the law of God. We cannot do it, and as a result, we fall short of what it says God's glory, His standard, His perfection. Every single person. I don't know if you've thought about that in a long time, or maybe that's the first time you've ever heard it, or it's just a broken record to you that all have sinned. Every one of us is a sinner. Wasn't that encouraging? Let's just close in prayer right there. I see the looks on your faces. We've got to remember who we are apart from Jesus. We have to remember that apart from Him, that's all we are. Our sinners, dead in our sin, bound for an eternity in hell apart from Jesus Christ. None of us is perfect. You say, well, hold on, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. Wait just a minute. You know, I, I, I've got a bone to pick with you on this stuff about calling me a sinner. Now, I mess up occasionally, but I'm not sure about that. You say, well, all right, what's your standard? Well, maybe your standard is you've tried to follow the Ten Commandments. You figure, well, you know what? God put it in a nice little box for me. I just follow those Ten Commandments and I'm good to go. If we were to walk down the line of those Ten Commandments, at some point, filtering that even through the law of Christ in Matthew chapter 5, we could determine that every single one of us has had an idol, Every single one of us has lied at some point. Every one of us has had lust in our heart. Every one of us has had hatred in our heart towards someone else, essentially murdering them with our thoughts and our words. We could go right down the list, and I could prove to all of us just how rotten we really are. Now, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to leave you too discouraged this morning. But a strong dose of reality every once in a while is exactly what we need. We need to remember that apart from Jesus, we are simply sinners, lost, 
and apart from him. We are also like these tax collectors. Now, this was an interesting group of folks. Uh, they were extremely greedy. They're manipulators. They're liars. They're unclean. They're immoral. They're selfish. They're dishonest. Now, don't elbow anybody next to you and say, man, he's talking about you. I'm glad I brought you this morning. That's not what we're trying to get across. But let me tell you this. If I list any of that stuff greedy, you ever been greedy? Well, I have. This week. This week. You ever been a manipulator? Put my hand up again. This week. You ever been a liar? You ever been immoral? Selfish? No, no, no. None of us. We're just so selfless. Well, then we get into pride, don't we? Look how selfless I am. Now you're proud. You see? You ever been dishonest? You ever not, not told the full truth or sort of skirted around things? Just, you ever done that? Well, then you, my friend, are a tax collector. That's exactly the way they were. So you're either a sinner or a tax collector, and you say, well, no, not me. Well, then you're a Pharisee. Because these folks were trying to reform themselves and then perform for all the people. Look at how good I am. You ever been caught in that trap? I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to clean up my act. There's a really great country song that's out right now. I'm not the man that I once was, but, you know, or that, that, you know, but I'm, I'm on my way to being the man I want to be. I still got, he says, a few more rounds with the devil, but I'm cleaning up my act little by little. Well, that, that's, that sells well, but it's not true. That's a pharisaical act. You cannot clean up your own act. You can't do it apart from Jesus Christ. You cannot. I want you to know that. Yes, it's important for those things to happen, but only after faith in Christ and as the Holy Spirit lives in you. Now, I happen to like that particular song. It's got a nice tune, some nice lyrics. But let me tell you, Tim McGraw is wrong. He's wrong, and I love Tim McGraw, but he's wrong. You can't clean up your act on your own. The Pharisees tried to do that. They, can, they, they counted on their personal perfection to be good enough before God. They played a comparison game as well. I'm not as bad as this person, and I'm better than this person, and they're below me. You ever been caught in that trap? Well, it's an easy trap to fall into. I do it all the time. But when I do that, I'm operating just like these Pharisees. They assume that if they could increase their knowledge of Scripture, if they could avoid sinners and any appearance of anything that was unclean or sinful, then that would be for them equated with love for God. But what they didn't understand is that apart from Jesus, they were also sinners. Because their God was themselves. Anything they could do to make themselves look better. We must never forget what Jesus did for us, and what we are apart from Him. We must never forget that He became sin for us on the cross, that He took our place, He made an exchange, He gave His life for ours, so that we would no longer be considered sinners and tax collectors and Pharisees, but so that we could be sons and daughters of the living God. But that only comes through Jesus Christ. Knowing that, knowing what He has done and receiving it, is not cause for, for arrogance, but cause for humility maybe today for the very first time you'd simply recognize who you are apart from Jesus Christ understand and believe in what he has done to save you you'd repent and give your life to Jesus Christ for the very first time let me tell you what our church would celebrate with you you're not going to stick out like a sore thumb you're not going to be looked at and say oh good grief what's wrong with them we would celebrate what God is doing in your life. We'd love for you to come and ask some questions. I'll be standing down here later on. 
love for you to come and give your life to Jesus Christ. We'd celebrate with you and help you. You'll know what that means. Maybe today you'd just simply praise Him for your salvation. You'd walk out of here with, with a mindset of gratitude. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. Recognizing full well who you are apart from Jesus. Never forget who you are apart from Jesus Christ. You want to fulfill His mission, that's where you've got to start. Secondly, never stop doing what it takes to reach those far from Him. Never stop doing what it takes to reach those far from Him. Jesus here in verse 14 of chapter 2, moving on, He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and He said to him, Follow me. Why in the world would a Jewish rabbi, who's supposedly so godly, invite someone like this to be his follower, to be his disciple? I'll tell you a little bit about the tax collectors. Levi here is a great example. We'll just use him. He was a Jew by birth, which means that by blood he's related to all of the other Jews. And yet he was hired by the Roman government to be a middleman. So you have the government here, you have the tax collector here, you have the average Jewish person here. And so you can imagine when a Jewish person who's loyal to the, to the Roman government, who's oppressing all the Jews, goes to the Jews and collects the taxes, they're none too happy with him at all. And the way he made his living was to exact more than was required from the actual tax. So not only does he work for the government that they hate, but he steals from them as well in order to make his living and to do what he needs to do. They were more loyal, these tax collectors, to the Roman government than to their own countrymen. They were considered to be traitors. Traitors not only to their own countrymen, but to God himself. Uh, later in Jewish writings, even after the New Testament is closed, these later Jewish writings would lump these tax collectors together with murderers and thieves. Gives you an idea of what they thought of them. It wasn't exactly a favorable opinion. They, they were considered unclean according to Jewish law. They could not serve as witnesses in court. They were considered a disgrace to their family, and they're expelled from the synagogue, which means they cannot follow any of the laws set down by Moses. Their mere presence in a home rendered the whole place unclean. So they were not allowed into the devout Jewish home. They were always physical reminders of what Rome, the Roman government, had done to the Jews. Full of injustice and oppression, immorality and godlessness. Certainly someone who claimed to be godly, a Jewish rabbi, would never associate with someone like this. Think of the worst person you can think of the most sinful, dishonest, doesn't care about a single person in the whole world. And that's who Jesus walked up to on that day and said, Hey, I'd like for you to come and follow me. It's interesting when you put it in those terms. But Jesus didn't stop there, and I love this in verse 15. Mark doesn't really give any explanation, which is great. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also guests with Jesus and his disciples because there were many who were following him. Hmm. It's interesting that he is the guest here at a banquet to host all of these people. He doesn't just stop with calling one. He goes and he hangs out with all of them. He hangs out with these people who were known as the sinners and the tax collectors, who for whatever reason could not or would not keep the law. Though some of these were probably criminals. Some were just too busy or too poor or too ignorant to know the law. Anyone who could not or did not study the law, according to the Pharisees, they were sinners because they didn't know the law. That's who Jesus is now associating with. I don't know how to put this in terms other than to say it would be like me as your pastor 
going every Saturday night to whichever bar you want to pick, and I'm not just sitting there kind of like this, preaching at everybody, but I pull up a chair at the bar and sit down and act like I'm one of them. I'm just as comfortable there as I can be. Now, we know, of course, Jesus doesn't enter into any sin, and certainly that's the case, but that's sort of what it's like. Jesus just pulls up a chair. How you doing? I'm not sure what he would have had to drink there. I don't know. Maybe I'd probably just have a Diet Coke or something like that. But at the same time, it would be just as I operate, hey, I'm just as comfortable there as anyone else. Some here would not be happy. None too happy with that. But that's the best way that I can equate it. Jesus going to hang out with those who were considered sinners and tax collectors. Now, the Pharisees may have been okay if Jesus had just preached to them because that's what they needed. They need to be preached at. You ever preach at somebody? <laughs> the look on their face? You ever preach at a teenager? Doesn't work. <clears throat> doesn't work. You ever preach at somebody who doesn't want to hear what you're having to say? Doesn't work. Pharisees might have been okay if Jesus stood off at a distance and just shouted to them, here's the message, why don't you clean up your act? This is what you need. And certainly they needed to hear the message. But Jesus goes further than just preaching at them. He becomes their friend. To eat a meal with somebody during that time, and the way that Jesus does signifies love and friendship and acceptance. That's what the Pharisees were looking at when they saw Jesus eating with these people. Jesus, by doing this, puts his own reputation on the line because the Pharisees thought, well, birds of a feather flock together. Jesus must be just like them. It's likely this isn't a first-time occurrence. There are many people following him. This seems to be the practice of Jesus' ministry. He's going and being with these people on their turf, on their terms. There's so much to learn for how... For us, anyway, on how Jesus operated with these folks. You realize that we can't wait for people to straighten up their act before we go to them? They can't straighten up their act apart from Jesus anyway. If we're waiting and waiting and waiting for people to get clean before we go talk to them, before we interact with them, we'll wait forever. Jesus didn't wait for these folks to clean up their act. The Pharisees would. That's what they would do. Well, you clean up your act, and then we can interact a little bit. Then we can talk. Jesus said, what are you talking about? These people need a Savior. They can't get themselves clean. I've got to go to them. We can't wait for them to get clean before we go talk to them. We also, we can't cut off their ears before they have a chance to hear the message. We can't cut off their ears before they have a chance to hear the message. I don't know who's in your world or who's out there that maybe we as individuals or we as a church could reach, but we've got to be very, very, very careful. Yes, we must be holy. Yes, we must stand on God's word. But we can't cut off their ears before they have a chance to hear the message. To just shout at them or exclude them or tell them this and that without first letting them know that they're loved by God is cutting off their ears before they have a chance to hear the message. We also, we, we, we can't apologize to those who criticize or are confused by the type of ministry that Jesus would have us do. And I mean that with all sensitivity. We cannot apologize to those who would be on the pharisaical side of this. Jesus made no apologies whatsoever for hanging out with these people. His defense later on proves that he's not making apologies. He's proving a point. Maybe this week you would spend some time with Jesus. You realize Jesus didn't go to this place unprepared. He spent time with his father. He knew the scripture. Jesus was holy beyond 
beyond any question. If you're going to interact with those kinds of people that Jesus wants you to, you better spend time with him first. This is not a license to go and do whatever you want to do. Understand, Jesus went there for a purpose. So spend time with Jesus. But let me challenge you to do this as well. This week, eat with a sinner. You say, well, well, that's just an example in Scripture. Well, maybe it is just an example, but have you done it? And I'm serious. Now, you might you don't have to call somebody up. <sighs> My pastor told me that I have to eat with a sinner. You're the only sinner I know. I'll buy lunch. It won't cost you anything. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't know who that person is that you would say, you know what, if I'm honest and I really look at it, I can't see that this person knows Jesus at all. That's who God has called me to reach. And this week, I'm just going to call them up or see them at work and say, hey, what are you doing for lunch? I got no agenda. I just want to hang out. They may look at you like you're crazy. You may have never done that. You may have been retreating and hiding in the corner from all the sinners at work. I don't know. But step out of the corner and invite someone maybe to your home, maybe out to lunch, whatever it may be. But eat this week just like Jesus did. Befriend someone who needs Jesus. Never stop doing what it takes. And then finally, never be satisfied with serving the already served. Never be satisfied with serving the already served. Look at verse 16. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors... They ask his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Imagine yourself if you went to the doctor's office this week and you're sick. And the only person the doctor wants to see is those who are well. And occasionally... You get word from the receptionist. The doctor says, "Uh, we hope you get better soon. Go home and and just kind of rest and see what happens. And yet, one after another, people are going in for their well visits, and the doctor never sees anybody who's sick. And then you get word that the, the, the receptionist tells you, well, the doctor says that when you're well, he'd be happy to meet with you. He'd be happy to have a consultation after you get all healed up. It's just as absurd to think that that would happen. You go to the doctor when you're sick, and what happens? You go see the doctor. The doctor says, hey, come on in. Let's talk about what's wrong with you. Please describe to me your issues. Let's figure out a prescription to remedy this problem. Jesus says, it's the sick who need the doctor, not those who are well. He says, it's the sinners who need the Savior, not those who think they're already righteous. It's interesting that Jesus would put it in these terms. The doctor doesn't wait for the sick to recover before he consults with them. Jesus says, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus, of course, here is using a figure of speech that was very familiar to them at this time. He's not saying there are some people who need me and some people who don't. What he's making the point is, look, everyone needs me, but only those who who can receive me are those who recognize their sin, admit their need for Jesus, repent and believe in him. The others just assume they're already righteous, he says. You know, we have the tendency, and I say we, just we as Christians and we as people in church, we have the tendency to write certain people off. Well, there's no chance for them. 
They've made their bed. They'll just lie in it. We have the tendency to do that. We look at someone who's far from God and we say, well, they're hopeless. Maybe it's a friend of yours, family member, somebody you know very well, and you say, well, it's, it's over. They have no chance. We have the tendency to, to huddle up as Christians. Maybe we, we say, well, it's going to be us four and no more. We're going to draw some boundaries around this place so that we can't have anybody come and contaminate us with what they do and how they look and what they say. Maybe we're scared of being infected by those who are sick with sin. We have the tendency to do that. We have the tendency to say uh, that we want to reach our communities, but what we really mean is that we only want to reach those people who are good, who are already kind of like us, who would fit in seamlessly with what's going on. We have the tendency to say those things, but not really mean it. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't have the same attitude with us? We have the tendency unfortunately, to be just like the Pharisees. We may not even know it. Those who are outsiders, they know it. Which is why we've seen church attendance, salvations, baptisms decline over time in large part because those folks out there aren't befriended, aren't loved like Jesus would love them. This week, Maybe you'd pray, Jesus, break my heart. Break my heart. Keep me unsatisfied in serving the already served. Yes, I want to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not my point. But, but Lord, keep me unsatisfied with just, with just serving the already served. Send me out. If just one or two people would pray that prayer, I got a feeling your world would change. This church will be set on fire. Our community might even be changed. Our state, our region might be different because one or two people prayed, Lord, break my heart. Send me out. Use me how you will. The mission of Jesus must be our mission. There's a message to convey. Jesus died for them and loves them. There's a people to reach, and they're going to be the sinners and tax collectors in our lives. So never forget who you are apart from Jesus. It'll keep you humble. You come to Him just as you are today. Praise Him. With gratitude, thank Him for what He's done. Never stop doing what it takes to reach those far from Him. This week, spend time with Jesus and eat with a sinner. And never be satisfied serving the already served. Lord Jesus, break my heart. Keep me unsatisfied with serving the already served and send me out. In just a moment, we're going to sing just as I am. I told you we were switching things up just a little bit. I, I, I hope that as you sing the words of this song, maybe you're the person this morning that you need to come just as you are to Jesus. You cannot clean up your act on your own. You cannot ever be good enough to receive His salvation. Only Jesus is good enough. Come to Him just as you are. Maybe this morning you'd You'd have somebody on your heart and your mind who needs to come to Jesus just as they are. And you say, Lord, give me an opportunity this week to eat with that person, to befriend them. Or maybe you'd say, you know what? There are so many people who need Jesus. Lord, break my heart. Send me out. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, break our hearts this morning. Help us to remember what we are and who we are apart from you. Lord, we pray that you give us determination 
and creativity and wisdom to never stop doing what it takes to reach those far from you. Lord, may we never be satisfied with serving the already served, but Lord, send us out. We pray in Jesus' name.